0: Welcome to Kesed. Welcome to Kesed. If you are new, welcome. Uh, This this has been a fun place for people who don't know God to to come and be curious, to be spiritually curious. So I just want to say right away, this is your first uh, Sunday with us or you're streaming with us for the first time. Let's relax. Nothing too weird is going to happen, I promise. Um, I'm just going to get a few things out of the way. Uh, First off, introduce me, Danny, again, and we are in a series right now called The Work. And the entire series is basically this. The work is a series about empowering people to embody the work of Jesus outside the walls of the church. So it's really about how to take what we are here out into the world beyond just here. Uh, And one of the things we are here is a family, and we talk about everything. So so Dave mentioned my, my great enjoyment with rain and clouds and all things in the Northwest that are good and holy. And I just want to bring clarity that, I hey, I also like these cool, crisp, sunny days. I also like those. As a matter of fact, this is my fall outfit. I just want to address it because my wife looked at me before I got up here. And she had, a, she had like, encouraging eyes. And I was like, oh, she's going to like what I picked out today. She's going to like my fit. And she's like, you look like a leaf. <laughs> and I was like, how dare you? And then, I'm not joking, she sent me this picture. This is my marriage, folks. This is my marriage. Um, I do really enjoy fall, though. I, I, I like it a lot, and I really want you guys to enjoy it. So I still got to push this through the elders, so this is not official. I, I don't know if it's actually going to happen, but I just thought we would fully enjoy fall over the next few weeks by uh, potentially partaking in what I discovered uh, is now available, which is pumpkin spice communion. <laughs> This is. <laughs> There's nothing like celebrating the, the body of Jesus like pumpkin spice. Nothing like it. So, we'll see what the elders say. We'll see. We don't know. But uh, but uh, I just. <laughs> oh, oh, I don't think the nine o'clock laughed at all. They were just like, disrespectful. But I, you know. Um, today, uh, we're going to jump into the series. Today, we're going to talk about our home lives. We're going to talk about our home lives. We're going to talk about the work it takes to build them as God intended. And uh, I recognize that this is kind of a complex uh, message because all of us think differently when we, when we think about home. I like this Robert Frost. Maybe this is some of your uh, quotes about home that you would relate to this. Home is the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. That's where your home is. Um the truth of it is that talking about homes can be tricky. Uh it, it's it's uh it's complicated and all of us have kind of different hookups with home and I just want to go first and admit that I am also one of those people. Uh although I did grow up in the church, I grew up with a pretty complicated family. Uh my father, I've shared before, was married 11 times, 11 times before he passed away. That's more than Elizabeth Taylor by a lot. Uh and, uh, and we had a lot of dysfunctional uh, family members just sort of outside of that that would come and go, especially around holidays. Uh, I had an uncle, his name was Uncle Rick, that especially... Uh, struggled uh, in life and uh, he was just a very complex man and as a matter of fact I think it was he got he got so drunk one time I think he ran his car into a tree if I'm not mistaken and it it broke his neck and left him with like a permanent head shake like it always looked like he was saying no all the time he just constantly at all times had this head shake and I remember we invited him kind of rarely to Thanksgiving one time and we were all a little like how is this gonna go and he showed up, and he was he was super good. He was in good spirits. He was on one of his highs, and uh, he was he was just really fun the, the the whole time. And I thought, wow, my you know I should spend more time with this uncle. I should I should get to know him more. and, and the evening went on, and and people were doing dishes and hanging out and all this stuff. And a rerun of Cops came on at this time. And I remember I was watching I was watching cops, and it was an episode where uh, the fish and wildlife people were actually setting up a sting for people who were poaching deer during off season. And they, they set up this like fake deer and kind of this this area that you could drive up to and shoot from your car, and then they were off in the bushes and they would come and pick this up. And and I was watching it and they set them up, and the camera showed like the deer, and then it showed an angle for any car that would would show up, and then it showed like the cops in the bushes, their silhouettes and their voices. And this truck comes around the corner. And right about then, my uncle walks in the room. He's like, what are you watching? I go, I'm watching Cops. I'm watching Cops. And he goes, I don't really like that show. And I go, I don't really care. And, right? I, and, and, uh, and so we just kept watching it. And he was like kind of looking and everything. And all of a sudden, they are like, oh, here, here's a guy in the truck. And yeah, he's taking aim. And oh, he shot. He shot the fake deer. And they're like, well, let's move in. And then they're like, wait a minute. He's getting out of the truck. And my uncle's like, Danny, let's watch something else. And I was like, uncle, I'm watching this show right now. And the guy walks, you know, about 15 feet in front of the truck. And the cops are like, I think he's going to shoot this stuffed deer again. And, and they shoot him again. And the deer literally goes, dush, dush, dush. and they're like, well, he shot it again. No one's shot it twice before. And they're like, they're like, this is crazy. Let's get him. And then on the radio, the other cop's are like, he's going for a third shot. And they start laughing, and my uncle's like, Danny, turn the show. And I'm like, I'm not turning the show. Look at this fool. He's going to shoot this deer a third time. And he literally walks up to the deer, like from here to the back wall, and he shoots this deer, and it just falls over stiff. And this guy looks around, and then he just like tries to kind of squat down and get back in his truck. By, By this time, the cops arrest him, but they're laughing the whole time. And I'm laughing, but my uncle's not laughing. And I'm like, this is why we don't hang out. You just don't understand funny stuff. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, this show is just... And I'm watching and and they arrest the guy and they pull him up and then they come up on him with the camera and the lights and they put a black box over his face. I'll never forget it till the day that I die because they zoomed up on the guy and although they changed his voice when he said, it wasn't me, what I saw behind the black box was somebody's head shaking just like this. And I was like... (laughs) And he was like, it was an unfair (laughs) operation! (laughs) Like, it's not fair. You can't just put a deer out of the woods and expect nobody to shoot it. I need to feed my family. And my family came in. He's like, don't tell anybody. And I was like, I'm telling everybody. <laughs> about my shaky head, poaching uncle. Everybody, I think, has an Uncle Rick in their life. Or maybe, respectfully, you might be Uncle Rick in somebody else's life. Family is complicated and it's hard to talk about. But I feel like for us to really understand the work that God is asking us to do, we have to look within our homes and ask, are we putting in the work we are supposed to? Now, home is many things to many people. Typically, when you think of a home, the first thing you might think of is like your house, your apartment, or your condo, the physical structure. And that is true. But that isn't really the kind of home that we're talking about. Instead, we're talking about the kind of homes that have to be built and grown through uh, emotional health, through hard discussion, and through often spiritual awakenings. This kind of home is supposed to be a safe haven and a comfort zone. It's also the place that we should feel the most comfortable, loved, and protected. Proverbs describes this kind of home like this. By wisdom, a house is built... And through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. This isn't speaking to those of you who like to garage sale. This isn't speaking to those who are collectors of, of fine things. This is speaking to homes that are, that are places of safety. Homes that are shelters. Homes where people can be curious and ask questions without feeling like they're going to be alienated. Homes where abuse isn't tolerated. There's a phrase that we use in Christendom a lot called the heavenly home. It's one that's commonly talked about. Uh, 2 Corinthians describes it a little bit. For I know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, meaning this, this where we live, this body that we exist in, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. The heavenly home that the Bible describes is the place that we'll feel ultimately most comfortable. We will feel most loved and most protected. And when Jesus arrives, he cannot stop talking about it. He cannot stop speaking to the desire that we all have to exist in this place. John fourteen two. Jesus says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? A huge part of what we believe Jesus did through the work on the cross was provide a place through that work For you and I to spend eternity with him. To have access and relationship to him. And so feel the comfort and the protection and the wholeness of what it means to belong to a home. Now I recognize in our church body that there's people here who don't believe in Jesus at all. That that you're here and you don't know why. I would say you're here because of of the Holy Spirit. Which is the outworking of of really Christ here on earth. And I believe that, that he speaks and he nudges and he pulls and whether you know him or not doesn't mean you can't be impacted by him because there's a reason you're here, friend. I believe that the part of that reason is so that you can hear the answer to the voice that you and I have inside our hearts, which is that I'm supposed to belong. My Angelou described it this way, the ache for home lives in all of us. We are hardwired for this stuff. You can't avoid it, and that's why it hurts so bad when you don't get to experience it. Last week, Kavika shared about a question he asked God when it comes to doing the work. God, what do you want me to do? I can't help but wonder if part of that answer for every single person in this room is maybe you're supposed to build a home. This is because, I love this quote from Charles Parker's home interprets heaven, home is heaven for beginners. It's, it's the idea that we're creating a space that replicates the space that we all ache to exist in. And so we get to practice and we get to maneuver and we get to negotiate this space that we're creating called a home. And that it meets some of the ache within our hearts. This is why also I think home carries so much weight throughout Scripture. Allow me to expand. Do you remember when Jesus is teaching and one of the young uh, philosophers of the day comes up to him and says, Listen, uh, God, what is the greatest commandment? I'm in Matthew 22. In the law, which is the which is one we should follow above all else, and Jesus answers, he says, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind." Now, Jesus is all knowing, but Jesus is all, in, is also incredibly strategic. And this isn't just something he made up. Actually, this is something he was quoting that came from a much, much earlier time. It was during a time when God the Father was fulfilling a promise he had made to an entire nation, what's known as the people of Israel, to provide for them a home. They existed in bondage. They existed in slavery in the land of Egypt. And they had grown to a great many people. And so God sends plagues in order to get Pharaoh's heart to release them. Because Pharaoh was abusing them in their current state. And they leave this place. Their their home is dismantled. Their abusive home is still a home no less. And they move out into the desert into this place of homelessness and houselessness. And they're wandering around and God says, I'm going to give you a permanent home. And so he gives them Ten Commandments. These are 10 fresh ways to think about life. Because for 400 years, these people had been in bondage and slavery. They didn't understand that you weren't supposed to to do life this way or that way. So he says, here's 10 ways that life can be brought into your new home. And we teach it, and we love it. What we don't realize, though, is that the very next chapter is the part that Jesus is actually quoting. Deuteronomy 6.1, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going to possess it. It seems that the people to to fully enjoy the home God was about to give them, they needed to understand above all one more thing. And here's the passage Jesus is, is echoing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. It's powerful. If you want your new home to prosper, Moses is saying, as God intended, remember to build it on him and his ways. But the very next passage, the very next passage, we start to see just how this is supposed to echo through our home for generations. Look at verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So he says this is the foundational thing, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And he says, and then what you are to do is teach them to the children that are around you. God is teaching them that proper home building is never only about you and your present family. That it is a generational thing. That our homes are to be a place where the ways of God are taught and so passed on to future generations. William Ellery Channing says the home is the chief school of human virtues. Now, this is is where the service gets a little bit messy. And so for some of you, it's going to get kind of uncomfortable. For others, just take a breath. I'll get back to you in just a second. I want you to notice that for God to give these people the home they were supposed to have, he had to deconstruct the abusive home they were used to living in. He had to deconstruct not just the home and the actual culture. He had to deconstruct the mindset and the heart set that they had coming from that home. It was a difficult, difficult thing to do. I just want to say, there are people in this room right now that, that number one, you still live in shame about the home that God deconstructed, that you, that you walked through deconstruction, if you will, around. Maybe he didn't do it, but the choices of the person that you were with, uh, the abuse that you experienced, those things led to a deconstruction of a home that once was in exchange for the home you have now, but you're not able to enjoy the home you have now because you're still living in shame about the home that once was. For others of you, this gets super personal, and I realize I'm I'm, I'm compartmentalizing the room a little bit, which is a rule we don't normally do as presenters, but we're going to do it anyways because this is really important. The church has done a horrible, horrible job encouraging people, especially women, to stay in abusive relationships because God says deconstruction of anything that resembles the home is evil, when in reality we've seen God deconstructing abusive homes for generations. And there are people in relationships, maybe not in this room, most likely, but for sure that will watch the service eventually, that are in abusive relationships. And the only reason you're in there is because a church leader somewhere told you, God told you, you have to stay and endure the abuse. And I'm here to just speak it over the whole room. That's garbage theology. It's not true. We are here to shoot for restoration. We are, yeah, okay, go ahead. We are here to shoot for restoration. We are here to shoot for healing. We are here to fight it out. We are here to not give up, all those things. But the church has done a terrible job just picking one verse and then saying all the abuse you've gone through, yeah, but it all just sits inside that verse. God hates divorce. God hates it when families fall apart. Yeah, he does. But God also hates getting punched in the face. Every night, God also hates the abuse. God hates the terror that some people live in. And verses are used. I have sat in rooms where I sat in a room one time where a man used a verse that literally he tried to tell me gave him permission to physically hurt his wife. Then I gave him a verse that gave me permission to physically hurt him. (laughs) It was just a big hurt circle, right? Just a big hurt circle. I'm just, I just, it needs to be said. Somebody needs to say it and somebody needs you to know that, that you deserve a home. And you also deserve not to live in shame for the home that's no longer because you escaped the abuse that was. Super, super important. If you live in a home like this and you need to speak to somebody, you can email us, info at I don't know that we have all the answers, but I just want you to know that, that, that it's a conversation we can have. And it's a really, really important, really, really important one. Okay? Okay. Uh, Let me talk to another uh, group of people. I want to bring some clarification. There are plenty of beautiful homes without children in them. Creating a culture that abundantly fosters the ways of God can happen in a variety of ways and settings. For example, some of us have raised our, uh, our children and now we have adult children. I'm just here to tell you, my dysfunctional father before he passed away, if he had done some therapy work, if he had got some, some proper mental health and some, a healthy worldview, if he had sat me down two years, a year before he passed away and said, son, here's some stuff I learned about me. I don't have it all figured out, but I'd really like to be a little more involved in your life. I would have embraced him with tears flowing. And I would have been in my 40s. You who have adult children, you're still parenting, and they still need you, but you've got to decide to do your work. So just because you have raised your kids, don't think like, well, this message isn't for me because it's about raising children, small children, and I only have adult children. Nope, nope, nope. How about grandparents? Do you know that there's just like a famine of grandparents? Like, like they, just, they don't exist hardly anymore? They're, they're, I don't, we don't know exactly why, but there's not very many, and I have people in our church. I actually had someone ask me, do you know any grandparents I can hire? I need some grandparents for my kids. <laughs> some of you right now are like, well, what's he pay? What exactly does he pay? <laughs> that's, that's the wrong question, Grandma. That's the wrong question. <laughs> Grand- <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, heart check, heart check. Uh, grandparents, they're, it's so incredibly needed. What about adopted mentors? What about just just following a leading to ask someone to help you or you go, I think I could take this person to coffee once a week and just be a safe sounding board. What about best friends? You know best friends say hard things, right? That just because you get along with somebody and they're the easiest to get along with doesn't mean they're your best friends. Best friends stand their ground. They say hard things and some of you, you have the title of best friend, but you're not actually a best friend because you're not calling out the corruption you see in the other person that's constantly causing the repetitive cycle and brokenness that they keep calling you about at two in the morning. Hmm, That got personal real quick. Are you with your best friend right now and she just called last night and you're like, oh, yeah, right there. There she is. Stand your ground. What about aunts and uncles? What about parents of your children's friends? What about, what about, what about? This doesn't have to do only with you and the children in your immediate care. Although, I want to continue in that, in that storyline because I do think the picture of children gently raised by God following parents does allow us a framework to see how a loving home may be built. You see, children raised by parents require a certain kind of fostering to develop properly. Back in that verse where Moses is saying, take these commandments and take these statutes. And he says uh, in verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. That word teach is this word shanan. And it means sharp, sharpened, sharpened like arrows or was pierced. This is the only place where this word is ever translated to the word teach in the entire Old Testament. It has less to do with actual verbal instruction and much more with modeling or whittling and always has to do with blazing a trail. It seems... That God is saying one of the primary workings of a loving home is to encourage the next generation to blaze a trail of love for their own children and or the people that come under the influence of their future homes. That it's not just about a, a set of parents and a child or a single parent and a child. It's not just about that dynamic. It's about the community of homes coming together to create one big home that reflects the home in heaven that we are all going to exist in full of safety and nurturing and sharing and curiosity. And it's to remind them that their job is to blaze the trail so that the next generation that comes after knows what it feels like, smells like, and tastes like to have the home cooking of love that only some homes in this world can provide. I want to talk just to parents for a minute. I'm just compart- I'm breaking all the speaking rules today. Just parents for a minute. Um, have you heard this statement, the river will never rise higher than its source? Just, just you and I. Listen, if you want your kids to have great faith, you cannot export the job of teaching and influencing to someone else. And that includes we the church. I heard an illustration once where a gentleman was trying to kind of drive home this point that, it's, that the church needs to do a good job of, of, of teaching the children and, and, and providing safety and a place for them to come and learn about God, but that it's not the church's primary job. He said it was a lot like when his daughter was younger and him and his wife sat her down and they were teaching her about uh, her teeth and caring for her teeth. And he goes, I want to talk to you about your teeth. And he says, here's the thing, mom and dad right now are primarily responsible for your teeth care. We set up the the time of day that you brush. We have the timer for how long. We buy you the resources, the toothbrush and the toothpaste and the mouthwash and the floss. We provide all these things for you. We are the primary uh, owners of your teeth at this moment. And you're the secondary owner. Your job is to learn how to do it, to actually follow the rules, to actually apply the principles. This is your job to care for yourself. And then they said, the dentist is tertiary. The dentist is important. You go to the dentist. You meet with the dentist. The dentist has a very specific set of skills. But can you imagine if the only thing you ever did for your child was be like, I don't know, brush your teeth if you want. I don't brush my teeth, and I don't do it that well either. But what we will do is take you to the dentist every three months so he can tell you what a terrible job you're doing with your teeth. This is often what happens with the church. Is people don't develop themselves spiritually. They don't have hard conversations. They're not curious about their own stuff their own home lives they came from, and then they expect a the child to behave in a certain way they themselves can't even foster, and then they send them to Sunday school, and they're like, get in there and, and, and learn about Jesus, and then they basically go to Sunday school and realize they have all these emotional cavities, and they come home like, Dad, he said I got some stuff to work on, and Dad's like, I don't know, don't look at me, I'll take you back on Wednesday. It's, it's just not functional, and It's not healthy. Discipleship doesn't happen in an hour on Sundays. Discipleship should be a way of life at home. I read an article where a, 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 like a church Titian, right? Like a guy who just runs all the stats of churches. This is what he said. If you do the math and run the numbers, this is regarding children and what they learn in church. The average person only goes to church 1.2 times per month. Church exposure is about 15 hours a year. There's 168 hours in a week. Most of their time, the children is spent at school or with their parents. If you are expecting the programming of the church to be the primary vehicle for discipleship and influencer of how they see the world or themselves or the gospel of Jesus, you just need to know the math just doesn't add up. The church is supposed to support, and it has a very specific set of skills that it's supposed to bring, and we take that very serious here at Kessid. But the reality is we need to teach these young people that it is their responsibility to dive in. But the people who are supposed to be showing them what that responsibility looks like is you all. And that's why you need to ask big questions about how you got where you are right now. Where in your story is your stuff driving you? Where in your story are you pretending you're not just like your parents? Let's just be honest. I mean, I've only been married once. But I did tell my wife early in marriage, hey, listen, if this doesn't work out, I got 10 more shots. <laughs> 10 more. Before I even get close to where my dad is, I'll figure it out between 4 and 7. That's all I'm saying. It's just, how, it's just how the stuff works when you see it and you grow up in it. It was hard for me at the beginning of our marriage not to think divorce just wasn't an option every day. My wife, on the other hand, her parents are watching right now. Beautiful marriage, beautiful people been married for, forever, and both her grandparents married forever on both sides. So my wife's like, yeah, you'll leave when you're dead. <laughs> my wife's one of those people who's like, you know, uh, either stay married or I'm going to prison. Those are the two choices that we get. So I'm committed to the woman. I am committed. But what we come from steers us. And if you're not going to be honest and I'm not going to be honest about where we come from, then our children one day are going to get to a place where they're not going to be honest about where they come from. And on and on and on the broken cycle goes. Now, back to everyone else. Everyone in this room has an invested role in the next generation, a discipleship role. None of this can happen without each of us first deciding what kind of spiritual home we're going to build, whether we have a child in it or not. We all are supposed to have a willingness to do the work that's needed. So the question must be asked, are we constantly seeking, reaching, and wrestling to create better homes? And are we constantly seeking, reaching, and wrestling to put ourselves in a position to receive that kind of love? Are we not only making space for that, but are we looking for spaces that, that, that highlight that? Am I looking for it in my household, and am I out seeking other people, mentors, grandparents, you know, people we trust, people we see that have elements within their homes that we don't have? And are we willing to stop the cycles of brokenness and say, hey, I'd like to know how to better manage money. Hey, I'd like to know how to better manage anger. Hey, I'd like to know how to better manage this this part of my childhood that, that, that my parents just really didn't speak into that now my children are coming up to reach and I don't know what to do with them. We have to be able to sit in this kind of foundational rewriting if we're going to build the homes God has called us to build. But to do that, we may need to deconstruct some of the way we think about it. And so my recommendation is that we start by building in our minds and our hearts the proper view of a heavenly home. Psalm 91, 1 through 2, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High, this is the home that God is offering you right now. Far before you ever have to breathe your last breath and actually open your eyes in his presence, listen to the home he's offering you. Shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the mighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress My God in whom I trust. Just in this tiny verse, God is offering you rest. He is offering you refuge. He is offering you a fortress or protection. And he is offering a space for you to feel safe. And that you can trust him with your heart. Another way of saying this, Pierce Brown said, is home isn't where you're from, it's where you find light when all grows dark. There is so much darkness in the world that only the light of a loving home can reach. And we are supposed to be the people building and growing them, but we can't do that unless we're willing to be honest about the things we're lacking in our own, unless we stop the shame, unless we realize we are where we are now, and that now is the time for us to raise our hands to heaven and say, God, I want to build that on earth, for as long as you have me here, for the people I love, for the children you've given me, for the best friend I have, for the wife that I don't really like much right now, for the husband that's struggling, for the world that is looking for a safe place in the midst, in the midst of all this often toxicity that feels like it's loving and honest and true. That's what we're all supposed to be building. This is where we're all supposed to be focused. The other part of Kavika's question from last week was God, what do you want me to know today? And so, in closing, I wonder if part of that answer might be that there's a home for you waiting, both to experience and build. You see, we are all called to belong and create a place for others to belong. We are all aching for this same home. Homes filled with relationships with others and with God. Now, for some of you, that, that you might need a real like, like purposeful step because you have no idea where to begin. And I think we've already announced it three or four times. I'm just going to hit it with a reminder. Uh, I don't even have a slide for it. But we're launching small groups for people who just need an actual physical, like, let me in. I need to sit with somebody. And you can ask somebody in the back about that. For others, you need to have a conversation with your spouse tonight or your partner or, or a friend or your mom or your dad or a child. You need to do a heart check-in. You need to, you need to really spend a minute and say, okay, God, what do you want to speak to me? What do you want to show me? Can I build a home with the person that I'm, that I'm next to now? Can I, can I build it in a way that's beautiful and honest and true? God, where do you want to strengthen me? Because i got to have some hard talks about this home that I am not thriving in. And for others, I pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for immense courage for you to have the conversation if you're in an abusive relationship right now. Because you deserve a home where you belong. And you feel safe and seen and loved. And God is working to provide that for you, but you gotta step out. You gotta step out. We've all gotta step out. We gotta change it. We gotta redo it. We gotta remake it. We gotta let God deconstruct it. Even the most beautiful home in this place has areas that need deconstruction, but we've gotta step into a heart space and a heart posture with God that says, I want more I want what you want to build on earth. And I want eyes to see not just my children, my loved one, my world, but whoever you might want to put inside my life that I can be a home to. And for others, you should be praying, God, show me where the home is that you want me in. Highlight somebody, a few people, that I can start to build this foundation with. I, I love this church, uh, I don't, I don't love messy services like this one because it's just a lot of trust that the Holy Spirit will custom this entire message for different ears, different life experiences, different ways of, of hearing. But I believe in a God who is alive and who wants more for you than you could ever imagine. And my hope is, is that you reach back out and grab what he's offering. Let's do the work. Let's build these homes and see how God wants to fill them. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm humbled by uh, the amount of stories in this room. The amount of people, God, I pray that would just leave their shame right here. That would embrace the home you've given them in a beautiful, beautiful way. I also pray, God, for courage for those who know that they have to step out for a while. I pray you would strengthen them, give them clarity. I pray, God, for those who have the uh, margin to be a home for others, that they would, they would really put forth an effort to make that known. I pray for those who feel spiritually and emotionally homeless, God, even physically homeless. I pray that you would, you would provide a way for them to find what it is that they need. I thank you, God, that, that you can only... That you can only do all of this and more if we will only step out grab hold of what it is you're offering and do the work I thank you Lord for this room for these people, I pray you would just uh, leave with them different than uh, how they came we bless you, we give you all the credit and the glory in Jesus name, amen amen, thanks for coming guys we'll see you next week